Over the past week and a half, my heart has been really heavy for our nation. Like you, I watched video footage of rioters streaming into our U.S. Capitol building, causing the havoc and commotion that they did. Like you, my heart sank in the days that followed when we learned that five people had been killed in the melee. My heart was really heavy. And as I was talking about this with my wife, Christine, last week, I made the comment to her, I wish that Martin Luther King Jr. had been on the steps of that Capitol. I feel like we desperately need someone who can speak peace and healing into our nation in a way that he really in a God-given way, did back in the 1960s. MLK had a God-given ability to bring people together peacefully to bring about positive change. That's what he was doing in April of 1968 when he went down to Memphis, Tennessee. He was there in Memphis, and on April 3rd, 1968, Dr. King delivered his famous I've Been to the Mountaintop speech, in which he made it so clear that he was there to take a stand peacefully for the sanitation workers who were being taken advantage of and mistreated there in Memphis. The following day, as MLK walked out onto the balcony of his motel and was waiting for his ride to pick him up, he was assassinated. What a loss. What a loss. In our day when so many Americans are angry and and bitter and striking out at each other, we desperately need followers of Christ who, like MLK, can courageously and boldly speak the truth, but do it in a way that is gentle and brings healing and peace to others. Our nation needs followers of Christ who are meek. And that's one of the main things we're going to talk about this morning as we open our Bibles together to Matthew chapter 5 and continue our study of the Sermon on the Mount, specifically our study of the Beatitudes this month, early in the Sermon on the Mount. This message is called, Blessed are the Meek. So make sure you have your Bibles handy. We're in Matthew chapter 5, beginning in verse 5, just two verses today, two very little verses Matthew chapter 5, verses 5 and 6, and this is how it reads. Jesus said, Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. May God bless us as we study and live out His Word for us today. Last Sunday, we began our verse-by-verse study of the greatest sermon ever preached, the Sermon on the Mount, and I got to thinking about this. Over the course of human history, there have been some marvelous uh, speeches given. There have been some fantastic sermons preached. A few come to mind. MLK's I Have a Dream speech. It was a fantastic speech at our U.S. Capitol. Oh, I think of Abraham Lincoln's Gettysburg Address or uh, Paul Revere's, uh, excuse me, not Paul Revere, but um, uh, Patrick Henry's speech, Give Me Liberty or uh, Give Me Death. What a a marvelous, uh, motivating and rallying cry that was there at the time of the American Revolution. 
There have been some marvelous speeches and, and sermons given over the course of human history, but the greatest by far of all of those sermons was this one given by Jesus Christ. It is without doubt, without a doubt, the greatest, most life-changing sermon that has ever been preached. And Jesus did something miraculous with this masterpiece. He took uh, thousands of pages of practical theology and condensed them into three simple chapters. He took hundreds of great sermons and, and, and reduced them down to the, the creme de la creme in a 15-minute sermon that is unparalleled. Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount did an amazing job teaching us how to follow Christ well, how to follow Christ the right way. This amazing sermon begins with eight Beatitudes in Matthew chapter 5, verses 3 through 12. As we saw last week, the word Beatitude is from the Latin, which means blessed are. That's what Beatitude means. So here at the early part of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus gives us eight blessed are's. Eight things that if we carry out in our lives, God will bless us. Remember, as we talked about last week, that this word blessed means so much more than just happiness. To be blessed means to be more than just happy. It means to experience God's approval. It means to be nourished by God's goodness. It means to be in an enviable position. And it also means congratulations and buoyed up. It's a marvelous word. Jesus here shows us eight ways that we can experience the blessing of God. Eight things that you and I can be and do to experience God's great blessings. Now, there's something that I didn't share with you last week that I think is really interesting. In ancient Greece, the people of Greece believed that blessing was something that could only be attained by the gods. The ancient Greeks did not believe that any human being, including you and me, could ever be blessed. Just couldn't happen. But by the time Jesus came onto the scene, the Jewish rabbis, particularly those that leaned toward the the Pharisee interpretation of the scriptures, uh, those that were Pharisees and rabbis, they began to teach that you could, in fact, experience blessing as a human being. Uh, But there was one little catch to that, one little caveat. You could, as a human being, experience blessing, but first, you had to die. (laughs) You, You could only be blessed if you were dead. You see, the Pharisees believed in the afterlife, and they said blessing could come your way after you die and have followed God during this life. And Jesus comes onto the scene, and he teaches something that's absolutely revolutionary. Here in the Sermon on the Mount, here in these Beatitudes at the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus teaches that the kingdom of heaven is near. He says the kingdom of heaven is near. And as we saw last week, the kingdom of heaven is near because the king of the kingdom of heaven is near. Jesus Christ is near. And Jesus taught that as the kingdom of heaven is near, blessings are not only available to God's followers, they are available to God's followers today right here on planet earth. God's blessings are available to us who follow Christ today. We don't even have to die to experience some of God's greatest blessings. Oh, isn't that encouraging? Some of God's greatest blessings 
are given to you and me right here on planet Earth. What Jesus taught here was absolutely revolutionary. God can and bless, can and will bless his followers today. Well, let's look at this first beatitude that we're going to focus on today. It's actually the third total beatitude uh, in this early stretch of the Sermon on the Mount. We find it in verse 5. This third beatitude reads like this. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Now, there are two problems with this specific beatitude. There's two problems. The first problem is most people mistake meekness with weakness. So they want nothing to do with it. Uh, The second problem is, once you explain to people the difference between meekness and weakness, and they come to understand what meekness really means, they still want nothing to do with it. And so we've got these problems when we deal with this specific beatitude here. And so we're going to sort through these. Let's come to an understanding of what meekness really means, and then come to an understanding of why it's so important for meekness to exist And be prevalent in the life of one of Christ's followers. Well, so much of what Jesus teaches here in the Sermon on the Mount is really upside down. It's it's topsy-turvy. 180 degrees from conventional wisdom, this third beatitude is no exception. So what does it mean to be meek? Well, the Greek word used here is the Greek word praeis. Praeis, which can be translated a few different ways, aside from being translated as meek, uh, some English translations are translated as gentle. And so it reads, a gentle, uh, blessed are the, the gentle, for they will inherit the earth. But meek uh, can be translated other ways as well. So let me give you a few synonyms for this word meek. The first of those I already gave you, it's gentle. But meek also means self-controlled and tame and submissive and kind-hearted and sweet-spirited. Now, I'm going to revisit these synonyms uh, several times over the next few minutes because I really want them to sink in. Jesus Christ says, blessed are those who are gentle, blessed are those who are self-controlled, blessed are those who are tame, those who are submissive, those who are kind-hearted, those who are sweet-spirited, for they will inherit the earth. In Jesus' day, the, the Greeks used the word meek to describe a horse that had been broken. They used that word uh, meek to describe a, a horse that had been tamed. Even though in many cases that horse was was bigger and and stronger and in some cases even smarter than the person that rode it, that horse would be called meek if it had its power that was exerted in a controlled way. And that leads us to the quickest and most effective definition of meekness I think I've ever heard. Meekness is simply power under control. Meekness is power under control. Uh, Several years ago, uh, SeaWorld was owned by Anheuser-Busch. And uh, when my kids were little and and the park was owned by Anheuser-Busch, I loved to take them to SeaWorld. And one of my favorite exhibits at SeaWorld 
was the Clydesdale corrals. Uh, the Budweiser Clydesdales were there in those corrals, and I love to go and look at those horses. These horses are massive. These Clydesdales are huge. And it always amazed me how a little pipsqueak trainer could lead that Clydesdale around wherever that trainer wanted that horse to go. I did a little research this last week, and I was kind of blown away by this. A Budweiser Clydesdale is at least six feet tall. It weighs between 1,800 and 2,300 pounds. Every day, each horse eats at least 50 pounds of hay and drinks, catch this, 30 gallons of water. These are some big horses. Now, the one in the picture here. Uh, that girl is a little shorter than uh, your average height uh, female, but it gives you an idea of the size difference between a full-grown Clydesdale and a full-grown human being. So think about it. A full-grown Clydesdale weighs at least ten times more than its trainer. And if it chose to do so, it could squash that trainer like a bug, couldn't it? Sure. It's stronger. It's bigger. It's more powerful but it doesn't smash its trainer like a bug. How come? Because that Clydesdale is meek. Its power is under control. Its power is under control. That Clydesdale has chosen to be gentle and self-controlled and tame and submissive, kind-hearted and sweet-spirited. We like to see meekness in our horses, don't we? And we like to see meekness in our pets. Uh, we don't want some uh, unruly dog that bites us every time it takes a notion to and barks at us whenever it doesn't like us or pees wherever it wants to. We like a dog to be tame, don't we? We like a dog to be meek. Shoot, we like our kids to be meek as well. Who wants an unruly four-year-old running around and ruling the roost, telling us whatever, what we should do and when we should do it? No, we all like our horses, our pets, our dogs, and even our kids to be meek, to be tame, to be self-controlled, to be gentle-spirited. But the truth is, most of us do not like to see meekness in ourselves. We might want our kids to be meek, we may want our pets to be meek, but we don't want to be meek ourselves. We like to see meekness in others, but we don't want to see it in ourselves. In our sinful pride, we see meekness in ourselves as weakness. Uh, we don't want to be gentle to those who are rude to us. We don't want to be self-controlled when everyone around us is losing control. We don't want to be tame because we've come to believe that tame people don't get anywhere in life. We don't want to be submissive because conventional wisdom teaches us that submissive people are weak people. And they don't amount to much in this life. Oh, we don't like to be meek. We don't like to be submissive. We want to be assertive. We want to take charge. We want to let everyone know who we are and why they should get out of our way. We don't like meekness in ourselves. You know, we don't celebrate meekness in our culture very much. I want you to think about our action movies that we really like. When's the last time you watched a really good action movie? 
in which in the first half of the movie, the, the, the hero, the star of that movie, was taken advantage of and was abused and hurt. And so at the end of that movie, the crescendo is building and that hero rushes into the enemy fortress. And as he rushes into the enemy fortress, he is meek and mild. He is kind and he is forgiving and he is gentle. When's the last time you saw an action movie like this? We didn't because that kind of movie would stink, wouldn't it? We don't want to see that kind of movie, man. We're watching these movies where John Wick or, or John Rambo or one of the Arnold Schwarzenegger characters or even Kevin McAllister in Home Alone wreaks havoc on those that take advantage of them. Oh, our action movies celebrate ones that are assertive. And ones that wreak, uh, carry out vengeance on their enemies. We don't celebrate meekness in our culture. We celebrate payback. We celebrate revenge. We celebrate karma. How different this is from what Jesus teaches here in the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, Jesus teaches gentleness instead of aggressiveness. Jesus teaches self-control instead of losing control. Jesus teaches submission instead of dominance. He teaches us to be tame instead of being reckless. He teaches us to be meek. And most people, including many Christians, listen to this and they say thanks, but no thanks. Count me out. I'm not interested in this meekness thing. Because in our culture, being gentle and submissive and tame seems completely backwards. It boggles our minds to think that something good could actually come from submitting to others. But in Christ's kingdom, something good does come from it. In fact, it's one of the very best things. Jesus says the meek will inherit the earth. Wow. The meek, the gentle, The self-controlled, the submissive, the kind-hearted, the gentle-spirited, they'll inherit the earth. What a remarkable thing to promise. All our lives, our culture has taught us that this world is in the grasp of those who are assertive and, and forceful and outspoken. We've been told that those who go furthest in life are those who don't take any crap from anybody. And Jesus says the exact opposite here. He says, no, not so with you. If you are my follower, I'm not concerned about your assertiveness. I'm concerned with your gentleness. I'm not looking for you to be dominant. I'm looking for you to be submissive. And I don't want you to assert your strength over others. I want you to restrain your strength. If you do, you will inherit the earth. You will be VIPs in my kingdom. Pastor John Piper says it really well. He writes, Meekness is the power to absorb adversity and criticism without lashing back. Isn't that good? Meekness is the ability to absorb adversity and criticism without lashing back. Jesus Christ is the perfect example of this kind of meekness. As He hung on the cross, at His word, thousands of angels could have been dispatched to obliterate every enemy that He had. But Jesus kept his mouth shut. As a lamb before its shearers was silent, Jesus did not open his mouth to defend himself. Why? 
Because the strongest man who had ever walked this earth was meek. His power was under control. Jesus Christ chose to be gentle to those who nailed him on the cross. He chose to be submissive to his father in heaven. And he chose to be self-controlled and tame and kind-hearted to those who slapped him in the face. Jesus was meek. And he calls you and me to be meek as well. There's a big difference between a weak person and a meek person. You see, a weak person can't do anything. But a meek person has the power and strength to do something. He has the power and strength to retaliate. But he chooses not to. Jesus calls you and me to choose not to. Not to assert our dominance over others, not to be unkind to others, not to retaliate against others, not to treat others as lousy as they treat us, but to humbly and gently and mercifully treat them the way that Jesus would treat them. Jesus says, blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Next is the fourth beatitude. We find it in verse 6 where Jesus says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Righteousness is not a word that we use every day. Even many Christians are unsure what it means. Well, I like to tell people, if you want to remember what the word righteous means, the easiest way to do that is to simply cross out the last four letters of that word. You cross out the last four letters of the word righteous, the E-O-U-N-S, and then you end up with the word right. To be righteous is to be right. A righteous life is a right life. To do what is righteous in God's eyes is to do what is right in God's eyes. To do what is unrighteous is to do what is not right in God's eyes. Makes sense, doesn't it? But there's a nuance to this word righteousness that I don't want you to miss. Whenever this word righteous is used in the pages of Scripture, it's used in the context of relationships. So to be righteous means to be in right relationships. That makes sense, right? To be righteous means to be in right relationships. Unrighteousness refers to relationships that aren't right. And the Bible is very clear that the most important relationship in the world is our relationship with God. So let me offer this paraphrase of the fourth beatitude. This is what Jesus is teaching us. Blessed are those who passionately pursue right relationships with God and people, for they will be filled. Blessed are those who passionately pursue right relationships with God and people, for they will be filled. The simple truth is, Jesus Christ can't bless us if our relationship with Him is broken. And we're not humbly working with Him to fix that brokenness. More times than not, it comes down to desire. And so we have to ask ourselves, do I really want my relationship with God to be right? Do I really want my relationship with Jesus to be right? And if we really want that, it takes effort on our part to see that come to pass. 
The psalmist writes in Psalm 42, verses 1 and 2, As the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. King David writes in Psalm 63, verse 1 and 6, O God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My body longs for you in a dry and weary land where there is no water. On my bed I remember you. I I think of you through the watches of the night. In Psalm 84 verse 2 the psalmist writes, My soul yearns, even faints for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh cry out for the living God. You hear that longing in their voices. This desire that they express. They want to be right with God. They want to be closer to God. They want to be in perfect fellowship with God. That's what it means to be righteous. To be right in our relationships with God. And secondly, with others. This fourth parable, excuse me, this fourth beatitude doesn't just call us to pursue a right relationship with God. It calls us to pursue right relationships with those around us. Husbands and wives, Jesus Christ cannot bless your marriage unless you are working with Him to pursue rightness in your marriage. If your marriage is not right with Christ, how can He bless that marriage? If if you really want your marriage to be right with God, you've got to desire it. You've got to really want it. And you've got to be willing to roll up your sleeves and work with Him to fix it. If it's broken, I don't know how many times I've spoken to married couples and there's one that really wants their marriage to work and the other really doesn't care. Or they both care about their marriage, but they're not willing to put in the work to fix it. God can't bless that. If we don't really want it, if we don't really desire it, if we're not willing to fix the problems... And take ownership in how we have contributed to the brokenness. God can't fix that. He can't bless that. Christ, how is He going to work with it if you're unwilling to work with Him? There have been many times I've spoken to couples that were dating. Or couples that were engaged and they were living together. And they're convinced God is blessing their relationship. And I just want to tell them bluntly, no He's not. He's not blessing your relationship. He can't bless your relationship. You're living in sin. Jesus has made it very clear that sex is to be saved for marriage. Living together is to be reserved for marriage. So sometimes we have this notion that we can have this broken relationship with God, that we can have a a broken relationship with another person, and Jesus can still bless it. No, He can't. We have to pursue right relationships and when we do Jesus Christ can bless those relationships this goes for our relationships with our parents our relationships with our kids our relationships with our neighbors our relationships with our co-workers our relationships with anyone we have to desire right relationships with others and we have to be willing to take ownership for our own part we've played in contributing to the brokenness Brokenness in any relationship that's broken. And we have to be willing to humbly work with Jesus to bring about change. I like how the theologian R.C. Sproul writes about this wonderful call to be meek. He writes, when someone is passionately committed to his task, 
We say he's hungry for it. Jesus was not saying blessed are those who are concerned in a cavalier way that they might perhaps grow in righteousness. He pronounced blessing on ones who are hungry for it. Blessed are those whose thirst for righteousness is a consuming passion. Well, what does the New Testament say about Jesus himself? That zeal for his father's house consumed him. That's in John 2.17. This graphic language means that Jesus' passion for the affairs of his heavenly father ate him up. His food was to do the will of the father. So Jesus himself was pictured as a man who was passionately pursuing righteousness. And he achieved what he was pursuing. There's no way Jesus could have been any more righteous than he was But he was hungry for it in his human nature. We are conditioned to define ourselves in terms of our accomplishments rather than in terms of our character. But Jesus pronounced blessing on a character trait. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness. Well said. Well said. Jesus calls us to pursue gentle, humble, self-controlled, submissive meekness. And Jesus calls us to hunger and thirst for right relationships, first of all with God, but also with others. If you and I are not pursuing right relationships, then we cannot assume or imagine that Jesus Christ can bless us. One last nugget to consider. When Jesus spoke these words here in verse 6 of Matthew chapter 5, When he spoke these words, they will be filled. Jesus was using a very specific verb tense in the Greek. It was the divine passive verb tense. Well, what on earth does that mean? Well, it means this. It means that we are powerless to fill ourselves. The divine passive tense in this context means that only God can fill us. Just as we can never be in a right relationship with God without Christ, we can never experience being filled without Christ. We are completely dependent upon Him. And so we can't get all uppity and arrogant thinking that somehow if I carry out this verse and, okay, I pursue right relationships with people, I'll experience blessing. No, it's not some mechanical a formula for experiencing wholeness in human relationships. It's a tool that Jesus gives us to allow us to experience the filling that only he himself can give. And so Jesus says, in essence, blessed are those who passionately pursue right relationships with God and people for God will fill you up. He will feed your hunger. He will quench your thirst. So what do we learn from the third and fourth Beatitudes? In short, Jesus Christ calls us to be gentle and submissive. And He calls us to actively pursue right relationships with God and with others. So let's get to it. Let's get to it. Living out this meekness that Jesus Christ calls us as his followers to live out and pursuing right relationships every day. And as we do, we will experience some of the most wonderful blessings that God has to offer us right here at this time.
and in this place. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, this is by far the most amazing sermon you ever preached, that anyone ever preached, the Sermon on the Mount. And Lord, just to digest small portions of it is difficult. Lord, this is so countercultural. Everything that we've been taught in this world we live in, all conventional wisdom has said, do not pursue meekness. Pursue assertiveness and dominance and victory. As you work your way to the top, if you have to step on some necks along the way, go ahead and step on them. And Lord Jesus, you're telling us today, no, 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 no. You pursue meekness, gentleness, self-control. If necessary, passiveness. Lord, you call us to submit to others for their good and for the glory of God. And Lord, you're calling us to roll up our sleeves and passionately pursue right relationships. God, if we're lacking hunger, would you give us hunger today? If we're lacking thirst, would you give us thirst today? Help us not to be satisfied for how our relationship with you is. Help us not to just be satisfied with what we're contributing to our marriage and to our families. Help us, Lord, to desire more. To desire to be closer, to desire to be better, to desire to be more right with you and with others. Help us, Lord, to pursue righteousness by pursuing right relationships with you and others, with everything we've got. In Jesus' name, amen. If you're here today and you've never accepted Christ as Savior, let me just remind you of the ABCs. It's not difficult, complicated to accept Christ and to have your sins washed away. He says, A, admit that you're a sinner. B, believe that Jesus died on the cross for your sins. And C, choose to follow Him today. That means you choose to turn from your sin. That's what repentance means. It's a spiritual U-turn. And you put Him in the driver's seat of your life. And you choose to be baptized to make it clear to anyone that's watching, I am being buried with my old life and I'm going to live a brand new life. Jesus Christ is coming in. He's taking charge. If you're ready to accept Christ today, I encourage you. I encourage you to reach out to Him right now and reach out to one of our prayer counselors. Let them know that you want to be baptized as soon as possible and begin following Jesus Christ with everything you've got. There's no better way to live than living for Jesus. Amen? Amen. We're going to take communion together in in just a moment. Uh, As a reminder, uh, thank you uh, for those of you who have given faithfully to Impact in recent weeks and months. Uh, We have three different ways that you can give. If you'd like to support the ministry of Impact with your tithes and offerings, uh, you can give by writing a check to Impact Christian Church and mailing it to our P.O. Box. You could give online, uh, or you can always text to give. Text any dollar amount to 84321. Thank you for your faithful support of our church. It is a privilege and an honor uh, to give back to God the first portion of our income and to support His work here in Victorville. And with that, those of you who are believers and followers of Jesus Christ, please take the bread that reminds us of Jesus' body that was broken for us. He said, do this 
in remembrance of me. And in the same way, Jesus took the juice, said this represents my blood, poured out for the forgiveness of sins. Do this in remembrance of me. I encourage you to go to the Lord Jesus in prayer. Ask for his forgiveness. Ask him to help you become more hungry for him. More hunger for righteousness. And go to him asking him to help you live for him better than ever. Let's lift up our voices one last time in this service. We're so glad that you joined us. We have one final song as a reminder. Uh, as of today, we are back in action, meeting in person at 9 a.m. at our George Boulevard facility. Uh, if you are not sick, your immune system is strong, and you feel comfortable doing so, we'd love to have you join us for our in-person service. Uh, we do practice uh, just about every CDC guideline we can uh, to keep our services as safe as possible. Uh, and for those of you who are not able to join us in person, please continue joining us online right here at 10 a.m. each Sunday morning. And by the way, if you miss any services, you can always go back on YouTube and catch any of our past services over the past nine months. God bless you as you serve our Lord meekly and you serve him with a lot of hunger for what is right. God bless you. Let's lift up our voices one last time.